0: Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com app to download.
1: Good evening to everyone at home. I'm Tiffany Cross, as you just heard, in for Joy Reid tonight. And we begin with the contempt of Congress. In a major breaking story late today, a federal grand jury handed down criminal charges against Stephen K. Bannon, the longtime Trump confidant who's under investigation for his involvement in January 6th. Now, NBC News reports that the 67-year-old is expected to surrender to law enforcement on Monday and is set to appear in court that afternoon. You guys remember last month, Bannon willfully defied a subpoena from the select committee for documents and testimony, refusing to even show up on the day of his scheduled deposition. His defiance prompted a rare bipartisan vote in the House of Representatives to refer him for contempt, a vote that saw a mere nine Republicans across party lines to uphold the authority of Congress. Now, today's indictment charges Bannon with two counts, one for his refusal to provide testimony and another for failing to turn over documents. And each of these counts carries a sentence of up to one year behind bars. Now, by prosecuting Bannon, the Department of Justice is now making it very clear, even to Trump's closest allies, that they cannot weasel their way out of a lawful subpoena. Moreover, it sends a very strong message to reluctant witnesses that they face real live consequences if they don't comply. Now, this may come as unwelcome news to Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who's been playing a dangerous game of chicken with investigators. For months now, Meadows has been snubbing the committee's efforts to secure his cooperation, and in September, he delayed his deposition, and then he denied the committee's authority by claiming executive privilege. And just today, he outright disappeared, ghosted, refusing to show up for his scheduled deposition. Now, as Chairman Congressman Mm -hmm. Benny Thompson and Vice Chair Liz Cheney said in a joint statement today, Steve Bannon's indictment should send a clear message to anyone who thinks they can ignore the select committee or try to stonewall our investigation. No one is above the law. We will not hesitate to use the tools at our disposal to get the information we need. A member of the January 6th committee is going to join me shortly, but first... Glenn Kirshner, he's a former federal prosecutor, and Ellie Mistal is a justice correspondent for the nation and bringer of all the fire. Ellie, I'll get to you in a second. Glenn, I want to kick it off with you because, listen, this was a huge deal that happened today, and it definitely sends a strong message, like we said. However, this does not guarantee that Steve Bannon is going to cooperate. I mean, this says that you have to show up. Do we anticipate that he will still cooperate with the select committee and be truthful in his response?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Tiffany, because contempt of Congress, criminal contempt is designed to punish Steve Bannon for the crimes he committed. Um, but the inherent contempt power of Congress is designed to enable Congress itself to enforce its own subpoenas and compel testimony. But here's where these two um, these two different vehicles begin to come together. Now that Steve Bannon has been indicted on two criminal offenses and, in fa- and is facing up to two years in prison, the the, um, attorneys, the the prosecutors at the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office may decide to enter into plea negotiations with him. And those plea negotiations could take the form of, look, Steve, if you plead guilty and agree to testify truthfully and fully before Congress, then we may um, recommend a sentence of probation or 30 days or 60 days or 90 days in prison, So this criminal prosecution can now be leveraged by the D.C. U.S. attorneys who are prosecuting the case to try to compel him to testify truthfully. Now, will he decide to take that avenue? Can Steve Bannon put three truthful words together if they might incriminate his, you know, his man, his mentor, his protector, Donald Trump? Perhaps not, but at least that's another vehicle and another avenue that's now open.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's open. And Ellie, let's remind our viewers, this is a guy who is used to lying. I mean, this whole build the wall farce that they had, he was living high on the hog on a yacht while people were giving their hard earned dollars for this extremely racist policy that the Trump administration was trying to push. Now that he's 67 um, and indicted, I think this is what people were anticipating. What is the DOJ going to do now that we've seen that? What message do you think this sends? Because I have to anticipate that the long list of subpoenas that the committee has come out with, all those folks were most certainly on the phone with their lawyers today.
0: Maybe. Look, I'm, I'm happy that Garland did something. I, I, I believe in the Sam Seaborn strategy. Let's ignore the fact that you're late to the party, embrace the fact that she showed up at all. I think this is a good move from the DOJ. I think this is a good move from Garland. But and Glenn would know this even better than I do. Let's say Steve Bannon doesn't take Glenn's deal. Let's say Steve Bannon decides that he's going to take the weight and hold out. How quickly can we get from where we are right now to an actual criminal prosecution of Steve Bannon? Do you think we can maybe get it done by the holidays? Okay, let's say let's say we get it done by the holidays. Okay, now it's in front of a judge. that judge, by the way, happens to be a Trump judge that used to clerk for Clarence Thomas, but that's okay. Let's say you get it in front of a judge and he gets convicted at district court level. Then he appeals. Then he appeals to the D.C. Circuit Court, which has a bunch of Trump judges, too. So how long does that process take? Now maybe we're into Valentine's Day. Now maybe we're into March. But let's say he loses at the district court level. Well, then he appeals to the Supreme Court, where you've got six conservative justices waiting for him. And even if the Supreme Court decides that they're not going to be partisan hacks that day, if we're talking about an appeal in March or April, do they hear the case by June? No. Or does John Roberts decide that he's going to delay hearing that appeal until September or October when the Supreme Court is back in session? And then let's say he loses at the Supreme Court. Does Steve Bannon lose in like October of 2022, right before the midterm? Like, you see what I'm saying, Tiffany? Like, yeah, if that is the calculus. If that is the calculus that Steve Bannon plays, that might also be the calculus that Mark Meadows plays. There there are lots of opportunities here for, for Trump cronies to continue to delay, 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 try to get to the midterms, try to hope Republicans take over and end the select committee. And that's why Glenn's first point, inherent contempt of Congress, put them in jail now make them force them to to respect the subpoena as opposed to punishing them after the fact for refusing to respect the subpoena that might have been the stronger way to go
1: Yeah, and look, I mean, that's a very scary calculus that Ellie just laid out, Glenn. The DOJ took a while here. I mean, they had to needle through a lot of thorny issues here, especially if they approach this from uh, the executive privilege perspective, right? Because I'm curious—previously, there has been the case of, you know, you cannot even go after these underlings because of executive privilege. I'm curious how that's still the policy, because, one, Donald Trump is no longer uh, in in office. He's not president anymore. Uh, And two, um, how was the DOJ able— To to comply with that, you know, instead of saying, Yeah, your executive privilege doesn't exist anymore, you are indicted.
2: Well, first of all, Steve Bannon had exactly zero executive privilege rights to invoke. None. Now, we could talk about Mark Meadows, who just committed the exact same crime today for which Steve Bannon was indicted. And we can talk about whether he will have a slightly greater opportunity to raise executive privilege. But this did take 22 days, right, from the date that Congress voted Steve Bannon in contempt and referred him for criminal prosecution. And I actually think there's one data point that answers the question, why did it take 22 days? Because remember, just last week, the Senate confirmed the new U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, former colleague of mine, Matt Graves. He's only been in the job one week. Before he arrived, there was an acting U.S. attorney, a gentleman named Channing Phillips, wonderful guy, great lawyer. But what I can tell you, Tiffany, from inside the Department of Justice, where I spent nearly a quarter of a century, acting U.S. attorneys who are not presidentially appointed and Senate confirmed generally don't make any bold moves. So I think Channing Phillips did yeoman's work just trying to keep the trains running on time, which is not easy when we're prosecuting hundreds and hundreds of insurrectionists. But think about this. Just one week in the job and Matt Graves, the new top dog at the D.C. U.S. attorney's office, said, indict Steve Bannon. Let's hope that's a sign of things to come. And let's hope they will now have their sights on Mark Meadows, and Stephen Miller, who was yucking it up on the Fox Entertainment Network, laughing at the rule of law, and Kaylee McEnany, and anybody else who decides to defy a congressional subpoena, prosecute them.
1: I, I think that is the message here, Ellie. Because look, if it's one thing for these underlings and these you know sheep who were following the Fox to try to overthrow the government, it's another for his inner circle, from Kaylee McEnany to Steve Bannon, uh, to comply with this committee, Ellie. If Um, people continue to thumb their nose at the committee if no one's ever really held accountable beyond these indictments. What message does that send to would-be insurrectionists who may not like how midterm, the midterm elections turn out next year?
0: Yeah, a coup that isn't punished is just practice. It's just practice. And so if you don't punish the people who try to overthrow the government then they will just try to overthrow the government again until they eventually get it right. So prosecuting these people, holding these people accountable is critical work. It's critical work that the select community is doing. It's critical work that the FBI and the Department of Justice should be doing independently of the of Congress, which I guess we don't always know what goes on there. So you know, maybe that's still maybe there's still bigger fish for the FBI to fry um, as well coming down the coming down the pipe. We can we can only hope. Um, but but some kind of accountability is critical um, to help our, our country move forward.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Glenn Kirshner and Ellie Mistal. Uh, we're going to bring in now Congressman Pete Aguilar of California. He's a member of said January 6th select committee that we've been talking about. Congressman, it must be a busy day for you. Thank you so much for making time to join us. Very uh, major news coming out of the committee today. I'm curious your thoughts on uh, what this means for Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who again today defied uh, the committee's authority.
3: Thanks for having me, Tiffany. Uh, This is an important step for the rule of law. And I think that's exactly what the Department of Justice upheld here, uh, is that the decisions that Steve Bannon made have consequences. He chose to defy a lawful subpoena. And anyone else should take note, including Mr. Meadows, um, of the tools that we have at our disposal. And this is clearly one of them. And so uh, we appreciate the, the swift action that the Department of Justice took um, as your as your prior guest mentioned, um, you know this, this was a process. this took a little bit of time, and it's supposed to. Um, but uh, they upheld their duty uh, to send this to the grand jury, which is exactly what the law says. And so we would expect that they would continue to do so and to continue to uphold uh, those rules and those laws. Um, If we take further action.
1: So uh, among the nearly thirty five subpoenas that are out there, I'm just curious, given the news that happened today, has the committee heard from any of the other people on your list of subpoenas where maybe they've had a change of heart and they're proactively reaching out to say they're willing to uh, cooperate?
3: Well, 16 of those subpoenas went out this week, and so those have uh, some dates attached to them to provide information uh, in the next few weeks and then to, to come in for an interview. Uh, I'm not going to get into the, the conversations uh, that were had earlier today, but I can tell you that we continue to make progress. We've had 150 uh witness interviews so far we continue to engage people and obviously we have those subpoena dates coming up as well and so we're going to continue to to push we're going to continue to find uh the truth and and tell the story of what happened on January 5th and January 6th and the insurrection and the attack on democracy uh, because it's important uh for our legislative work that the committee continues to identify uh areas moving forward and it's important for our country that we tell this story completely
1: Well, I want to go back to uh, uh, Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Mark Meadows. Um, He doesn't appear to be too worried. Uh, In fact, he was appearing on a conservative media outlet um, earlier today. This was after uh, the news of the indictment came down. Originally, he was um, allegedly searching for documents to cooperate with the committee. Then he did an about face um, and saying that he felt duty bound to follow Trump's lead on this. Um, I'm just curious your thoughts um, if he remains defiant Do you anticipate that we will see Mark Meadows indicted as well?
3: Well, his posture is just laughable. There's no absolute um, uh, there's no absolute here that he uh, can't come before the committee or can't talk about um, uh, some of his some of his work previously. And so. Uh, it's important that we continue to do this work and we're going to continue to have conversations about, uh, Mr. Meadows, uh, in, in the future. Uh, I'll leave, I'll let, uh, Chairman Thompson and Vice Chair Cheney, uh, continue to, to, uh, break that, uh, break that news. But we continue to, to be serious about this. And I think that's what the public can expect. And the committee is meeting. We're having conversations, uh, and we're going to continue to, to seek the truth.
1: Well, your, your chairman has already uh, made some comments earlier this week and, and said that Medals has no valid legal basis uh, for not submitting to questioning from the committee. So we'll certainly keep our uh, eye on this developing story. And thank you so much, Congressman Pete Aguilar, for joining us on what a very busy day today is. Uh, still ahead for you guys at home, much more on tonight's breaking news. The indictment of Steve Bannon, who just hours before the DOJ decision came down, was telling his audience that Trump Republicans were, quote, taking over all the elections. Also, the stunning recording of Donald Trump defending the hang Mike Pence threats made on January 6th. Not that stunning. Plus, at the trial, as the trial continues for the three men who hunted down Ahmaud Aubrey and killed him, one of the defense attorneys singled out my colleague, friend and big brother, Revan Al Sharpen, and said, we don't want any more black pastors coming in here. Reverend Sharpen will join me later this hour. The readout continues right after this.
4: and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future.
1: The indictment of former top Trump aide Steve Bannon on charges of contempt of Congress is a first with the Biden Justice Department showing that no one is above the law and that they'll do their part to uphold Congress's subpoena power. now no one has ever been prosecuted for that charge after asserting executive privilege. The indictment by the federal grand jury comes just weeks after the House voted to hold Bannon in contempt for refusing to testify or produce documents. But a conviction would not require him to testify before the January 6th select committee. NBC News reports that Bannon is expected to turn himself in on Monday and appear in court that afternoon. With me now is Congressman Ted Lieu of California. He was an impeachment manager earlier this year and New York Times Washington correspondent Michael Schmidt. Congressman Lieu, uh, I want to start with you. I want you to take a listen um, to Mark Meadows talking to Laura Ingram on Fox News um, and hear his comments. We'll talk about it on the other side.
2: What are you accusing Rod Rosenstein of specifically? Well,
0: really, for nine months, we've asked for documents. And and that's all we want are the documents. And, and what we found is not only have subpoenas been ignored, but uh, information has been hidden. Uh, the efforts have been stonewalled. And I guess for us, it's all about transparency so the American people uh, can judge for themselves. And so, you know, they may be able to ignore Congress, but they can't ignore the American people.
1: Congressman, it's all about transparency for the American people. Your thoughts on Mark Meadows' words tonight, given the news and situation we're in today.
5: Uh, Thank you, Tiffany, for your question. While Democrats are delivering for their people with our historic infrastructure law, you have Republican enablers like Steve Bannon and Mark Meadows who are flouting the law. And Americans need to ask, what is Mark Meadows and Steve Bannon hiding from the American people? About what they said or did on January 5th and January 6th, and what did their former president do or not do on those crucial days?
1: And questions that, uh, the committee is eager to get answered. Um, Michael Schmidt, I just, I reminded the viewers in the last block, but I just want to punctuate this point. Steve Bannon is a long established liar. Um, you remember his farce with the, uh, stealing funds from the build the wall, um, fundraiser that they were doing. Um, I, I want you to take a listen to, um, Trump's call with the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Rafsenberger, um, asking him to essentially help cheat.
6: There's nothing
2: wrong with saying that, you know, uh, that you've recalculated. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more that we have.
1: Who coordinated this call? Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Uh, Who does Trump surround himself with? Steve Bannon, a well-documented liar. Um, What's your take on this situation and what message do you think or what do you think this means for the 30 plus other people who've been subpoenaed by the select committee?
7: Well, I, I think that the impact of this, we will be able to measure by how much other people are willing to come in. The biggest problem that this investigation has is time. They want, the Democrats want this investigation to be done by the late spring, early summer of next year to make sure that they have a detailed, authoritative narrative of what happened around the election heading into the 2022 midterms. That is their goal. Now, are people like Steve Bannon able to throw a wrench in that investigation by not cooperating? There are other people that have obviously indicated that they, that they are going to take a similar stance to Bannon. Um, they have not been as dismissive as Bannon. They have engaged the committee in some way. But, but what you have here, in what we'll have to see, is that do other people fear being charged by the Justice Department like Bannon, and do they come in and participate, and do they participate in fulsome ways? that illuminates the major questions around what happened in the lead up to the insurrection and during it. So the 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 it's an extreme um, and, and, you know, extraordinary measure by the Justice Department here. It is sending a clear message, but we'll have to see how much others respond to it to really know the true impact on the fact gathering of the committee.
1: Congressman uh, Michael makes a good point. And we talked last, uh, the last block with uh, our guest, Ellie Mistal, who laid out a really scary calculus that even now, after this indictment, people can delay, delay, delay um, until it's time for midterms. And if the Republicans take over the House, uh, if they take over Congress, then all these may go away. I think that's part of their plan. I want you to take a listen to Steve Bannon on his podcast. And this was uh, right from today, right before the indictment came down. We'll talk about it on the other side.
2: Remember, there are no whining and no tears in the war room. We're taking action. And that action is we're taking over school boards, we're taking over the Republican Party through the Precinct Committee strategy, we're taking over all the elections. Suck on this!
1: Suck on this. Um, What do you make of Steve Bannon's remarks? Look, I have to say there is some accuracy to that with Republicans aggressively trying to target local school boards, state legislatures, uh, introducing voter suppression schemes, etc. What's your thought here? Uh,
5: First of all, I agree with Michael and Ellie that time is an issue. Uh, That is one reason I have introduced legislation to authorize the House to use our inherent contempt power and that only requires a vote of the House to change our House rules, that would let us immediately use our power to enforce subpoenas against witnesses like Steve Bannon and Mark Meadows. Hopefully, uh, the House will pass that if we don't get cooperation uh, from other witnesses. And in terms of what Steve Bannon just said, I do note that in the elections um, that happened recently, some school board members lost, some won. Uh, It is by no means uh, a Republican takeover. We do have people fighting back who simply disagree with some of the crazy things that school board candidates are saying. And I think it remains to be seen whether or not you can have conservatives take over school boards. It's really a much more local issue. And I think very few people in America want to see books banned at school libraries.
1: Well, I have to tell you, Congressman, this is something that has been going on for a long time. Republicans have used the school board as a launching pad to find their way to Congress to introduce some of these draconian uh, policies. Um, I used to work in education for a while at the National Education Association, and this was a political arm of our operation. Um, really quickly before I let you go, we're running out of time, but the DOJ has not charged anyone with contempt uh, in 38 years. Um, just before I let you go, um, what significance do you think this has um, with the committee? I mean, if Feels like the wind is at their back now, um, but again, there's a lot of legal maneuvering to happen to see full cooperation.
5: Well, no one wants to be indicted, and the consequences for this are not only a fine, but also possible jail time. So, if you're not Steve Bannon, if you're the other witnesses out there, and you don't really want to go down in flames, you may just want to cooperate with the committee right now, knowing that the bar of Justice is going to indict you if you simply ignore congressional subpoenas.
1: All right. We'll certainly keep our eye. Thank you so much, Congressman Ted Lieu and Michael Schmidt, uh, for joining us on a very busy Friday evening. And up next on The Readout, Donald Trump actually defends the threat against his own vice president, Mike Pence. We'll talk about that after the break. Stay with us. Okay, while Steve Bannon is now under indictment, the man he worked for, Donald Trump, remains brazenly flippant about what happened that day when his supporters attempted a coup and called for the murder of his vice president. Those chilling, those chilling threats made crystal clear what would have happened had the insurrectionists laid their hands on Mike Pence that day. And now we're getting some unsurprising but new insight into the warped mind of Donald J. Trump on that very subject. In an interview released just today, Trump actually defended the lynch mob that was rooting for Pence's murder. And he says it was common sense for them to threaten the life of the vice president. So in other words, Trump is still very much on brand. Take a listen.
2: He were you worried about him during that, that siege? Were you worried about no, his... No, I thought he was well protected, and I, I had heard that he was in good shape.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: No, because uh, I had heard he was in very good shape. But, but no. you I heard think those it, chants. That was terrible. I mean, was, you know, the, he could have... Well, the people were very angry. They are saying, hang my because Because it's, it's common sense, John. It's common sense that you're supposed to protect. How can you... If you know a vote is fraudulent... Right. How can you pass on a fraudulent vote
6: to Congress?
1: Cuckoo. His remarks come from a March interview with Jonathan Karl of ABC News for his upcoming book, Betrayal, the final act of the Trump show. And with those words, Trump is signaling to his base of radicals that violence, even murder, is justified in the name of the big lie. Now, we should note that Pence was not in good shape. As Trump falsely claimed, he was evacuated just seconds before the mob could reach him and narrowly escaped with his life. Now, that's not to mention that Trump literally directed the insurrectionists to seek Pence out, specifically targeting him in a tweet as the violence was unfolding on national TV. Simply put, Trump almost had Mike Pence killed. And now he's saying he's okay with that. But this is not surprising, given his sick fascination with violence, which has been abundantly clear since the early days of his campaign in 2016.
2: like to punch him in the face, I'll tell you. Knock the crap out of him, would you? Seriously. Okay? Just knock the hell out. I promise you, I will pay for the legal fees. In the good old days, this doesn't happen, because they used to treat them very, very rough. In the good old days... They'd rip him out of that seat so fast. You know what they used to do to guys like that when they were in a place like this? They'd be carried out on a stretcher, folks.
1: So if nothing else, Donald Trump is consistent. But we've recently seen how the Republican Party is now following Trump's lead, increasingly embracing the threat of political violence as a way to acquire power. Madison Cawthorn, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates. Lauren Berbert, and even little Kevin McCarthy himself, they've all spoken of using physical violence against political targets. Joining me now is David Jolly. He's a former Republican congressman from Florida who is no longer affiliated with the party, and my friend Angela Rye, political strategist and host of On One with Angela Rye. Angela, I've got to tell you, I'm on one today. Uh, I think this was the clapback we were all waiting for. But the more important thing is I feel like there are a lot of people on Capitol Hill who are asking for that smoke. I mean, you've seen Marjorie Taylor Greene be very confrontational with her colleagues. Uh, When I hear the media talk about how shocked and stunning this revelation is of Donald Trump, it's like, were you not paying attention? This man has always invited violence. And you see the Republican Party following suit. What are your thoughts about all this?
8: Well, I'm wondering when people are going to catch up, when they're going to wake up and realize that there was a terrorist attack on Capitol Hill on January 6th and that that thing was literally being cultivated throughout the duration, not only of Donald Trump's presidency, not only of the campaign, as as you so aptly put. But let's not forget that this was also the man that questioned the citizenship of Barack Hussein Obama, right? Like, this is someone who thrives in that type of nonsense. They have accounts that create whole conspiracy theories right like this is what they do and they do it so well and so there's only a it's only a matter of time before the make-believe becomes real we saw pieces of this in charlottesville when the um, man ran through the protest and killed this woman we saw it with the tiki torch riots that took place there this is not new it's been happening in different parts of the country Um, for some time. And so what we have to acknowledge now is it's only, again, a matter of time before it reaches the top. And for him to be so, as you said, flippant about Mike Pence, about his life, the fact that we're defending Mike Pence's well-being over the president, I, I think speaks volumes. And I think that this goes back to what we've been talking about, Tiff, and that is human decency. This isn't political, This isn't partisan. This is about what is right and what is wrong. The fact that Congressman Thompson, who, of course, chairs the select committee, has issued 35 plus subpoenas and Steve Bannon is one of them. He's not the only one that's saying I'm not going to um, I'm not going to participate in this. We have to fact find and we're trying to fact find with people who are just like abhorrent, like they're not trying to participate in the process at all. That is where we have to get our information from. The fact that I, the image that I keep seeing in my mind from January 6th, isn't Mike Pence running down the stairs, it's Lisa Blunt Rochester on her knees, praying with her colleagues that they would be safe, that there would be a hedge of protection around them. That should sear the consciences of people on both in both parties independents libertarians whomever human decency has to be the basis of this and where it is lacking is with donald trump and of course with how he treated his own the vice president he picked his own vice president
1: and while we're defending Mike Pence, Mike Pence is defending Donald Trump. He spoke out this year in April uh, before mm. a crowd of evangelicals um, and did not have too many negative words, quite honestly, about Donald Trump. Um, David Jolly, you worked on, on Capitol Hill. So you and Angela both spent time on Capitol Hill. So you understand um, how how this works. It's very scary uh, to me to see that you have. Um, Congresswoman QAnon being very confrontational. You have Proud Boys who are running for Congress. Um, Donald Trump is doing this with the full embrace of the Republican Party. He just spoke at an NRCC event um, this week. Again, no one has rebuked him. Everyone's following suit. I'm curious your thoughts. What happens when this same group, the Republican Party, what if they don't like the election results next year during midterms? What, What do you anticipate the party doing then?
9: Tiffany, that's exactly the danger of an interview like Donald Trump gave to Jonathan Carl and the comments from Republican leadership or lack of Donald Trump has created a permission structure. He is the leader of today's Republican Party, the loudest voice in the room until somebody pushes him off the seat. And he was unable to condemn the notion that some people were suggesting hanging the vice president of the United States, not only unable to condemn it, but suggested that it was understandable. That is a permission structure that allows the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Madison Cawthorns, the other nut jobs in the Republican House conference to engage in similar language and it will lead to more violence. I mean that that's the bottom line Tiffany. It will lead to more violence. That's not political commentary. That is the opinion of our domestic intelligence agencies or the, of the Department of Homeland Security that it is this right-wing organic violence that could create a threat and ultimately take the lives of more people. What Donald Trump did there was not simply a failure to condemn. It was to further a permission structure that violence in the face of your political grievance is now permissible. That was the attitude of Donald Trump. That's the message received loud and clear by rank and file Republicans.
1: And Angela, since you've uh, worked on Capitol Hill, you actually worked for uh, Chairman Thompson. Um, You're the executive director of the Congressional Black Caucus, so you know this space very well. Um, One thing that we don't talk enough about, I think, is the staff. The staff experience these things on Capitol Hill as well. So when I look at this slate of GOP candidates, you've got Sean Parnell out of uh, Pennsylvania, whose wife has accused him of excessive violence against her and their children. Uh, Like I said, you've got a proud boy on the ballot. Um, Six of the people who participated in the January 6th insurrection won elections— A couple of weeks ago. I'm curious. You still talk to staff there. One, would you feel safe working on Capitol Hill, knowing these people are roaming the halls of Congress and the staff that you still talk to, do they feel safe?
8: Well, no. And I think, you know, a perfect example example is Marjorie Taylor Greene gun toting in the halls of Congress. The members don't feel safe either. Right. And I think that we ultimately have to get down to the fact that there are some standards that have to shift. And I really don't see an end of the matter, Tiffany. The reason why is, of course, there was a census last year. Of course, we're in the process of redistricting. Many of those plans already submitted and approved. They are making these districts hyper-Republican. And when they're in hyper-Republican districts, they can get away with anything. And we've seen Um, With the election of Donald Trump, that there are millions of people who either support or give permission, talking about the permission structure that David just mentioned, to people to do these types of things. Everything is on the line. Freedom is on the line at at every stage, whether we're talking about challenges to abortion in Texas and other states following suit, or we're talking about the restrictions put in place to prevent us from even being able to exercise our votes in hyper-partisan, hyper-Republican districts. We have a huge challenge on our hand, And if we don't really take our power back and understand what is at stake, we're going to have this problem for at least another decade.
1: That's right. And we have to remember, Capitol Hill is very protected. These state legislatures yeah. across the country are not protected the same way Capitol Hill is. So this is a, a huge threat to our country that we have to keep an eye on. Thank you so much, David Jolly and Angela Rye. Uh, don't go in at home because up next on The Readout, the man himself, Reverend Al Sharpton, joins me. This is after a defense attorney in the trial of the men accused of murdering Ahmad Arbery mentions the Rev by name before saying he didn't want any more black pastors in court. Keep Rev's name out your mouth. Stay with us. We'll be right back. OK, there are three high profile court cases underway across the country that we're keeping a close eye on. One in Wisconsin, there's a trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who shot and killed two people and wounded a third during protests after the death of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, last year. In Georgia, there is a trial of three white men accused of murdering Ahmad Arbery, a 25 year old black man who was hunted down and killed last year. While he was out for a jog. And in Virginia there is a civil case under underway against neo-Nazi and white nationalist groups that organized the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville in 2017. You guys remember that rally ended in violence with the killing of Heather Heyer. Central to all these cases is race and racism in this country, something we're seeing play out inside the courtroom itself. Yesterday, A defense attorney in the Arbery case had the temerity to object to the presence of Reverend Al Sharpton, or actually any black pastor, for that matter, in the courtroom, saying that they could intimidate the jury.
7: The idea that we're going to be serially bringing these people in to sit with the victim's family one after another, obviously there's only so many pastors they can have. And if that, their pastor's Al Sharpton right now, that's fine. But then that's it. We don't want any more black pastors coming in here. Or other, Jesse Jackson, whoever was in, was in here earlier this week, sitting with the victim's family, trying to influence a jury in this case. I'm asking the court to take appropriate steps to make sure that the gallery, which is already limited in this case, isn't being utilized for a purpose that could be viewed as improper. If a bunch of folks came in here dressed like Colonel Sanders with white masks sitting in the back, I mean, that would be.
1: Yeah, this morning, Playboy attempted to apologize, but it fell way short. For more, I'm joined now by the amazing Reverend Al Sharpton, host of MSNBC's Politic Nation, president of National Action Network that just celebrated their 30-year anniversary, and my friend and big brother. Rev, I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so sorry you were subjected to that loony man's comments. Um, but I want to start out and just ask you, how is uh, Mrs. Arbery doing? Because we all saw her breakdown down um, in court when she had to bear witness to see her son murdered for the first time. It was difficult to watch. You spoke with her and spent time with her. How are her spirits?
6: Her spirits are strong. She's a very spiritual woman. Uh, But clearly her and the father are going through uh, what is an unbelievable, painful experience to sit in the courtroom on a daily basis with three men that killed their son only in, in, in as far as I can see because of the color of his skin and to sit behind their family, and now to be told they can choose who can sit with them. According to the court, they can bring in one person each and uh, they chose to invite me. They came. Uh, I preached in Georgia about three weeks ago. They both came, stood before the president, invited me to come. I'd been working with them and their attorneys since the killing and uh, to all of a sudden make an issue. They brought others uh, since the trial started. But when I came, all of a sudden it became an issue. And notice what they're saying, Tiffany that my presence could intimidate or influence the jury. Well, what is that supposed to mean? How many right. cases have we seen of police-related cases where policemen stack the courtroom in uniform? We sat on the back row of the court having no disruption. How is that influencing and intimidating anyone other than the same way those three men are on trial feeling that, uh, that uh, Mr. Aubrey— uh, was in somehow intimidating walking through a a construction area that is building a house. It is blatant racism, and his so-called apology today said if someone was offended, like not right. even recognizing the blatant racism of his statement that I don't want any more black pastors. Well, we're going to bring Prennity there next uh Thursday, the 18th, because I'm coming back and there's going to be a lot of ministers with us for a prayer vigil to stand with. His mother and father to say they're not alone.
1: Let it be known the doors of the, uh, the doors of the church are open in Georgia. Uh, when you return, happy to hear it. You know what's a lot scarier, Rev, than black pastors. Three white men chasing you down with a gun. I want you to take a listen to the 911 call um, from the gentleman who who called the authorities when he uh, allegedly saw Ahmad Arbery in the house. We'll talk about it on the other side. There's
8: a guy in the house right now. Is that house under construction? Okay. Do you know, do you have your address or the
4: other that house's address? Uh, right at uh, two nineteen or two twenty Cecilia Drive.
8: And you said someone's
1: breaking into Stop. it right
4: now? No, it's it's all open. It's under construction, and he's running right now. There he goes right now.
1: Okay. What is he doing?
4: Mm-hmm. He's running down the street.
8: Okay, that's fine. I'll get them out there. I just need to know what he was doing wrong.
1: What was he doing wrong, Rev? As we see this twin justice system play out this week, you have to ask yourself, who deputized these people, law enforcement? And that's the problem so often, Rev. You just want to send a message, mind your business. You are not deputized law enforcement over everybody. What's the mother saying um, as she hears this testimony play out? They were even described Ahmaud Aubrey as a colored fella in the house.
6: Well, she said and she said to the media that it is unbelievable to hear this and to think that her son was killed by these people. They didn't even want to arrest them until the tape came out. And we had uh, began working with them. Both the mother and father had even been on Politics Nation with me before the tape showed exactly what happened, because we understand you, you must remember, Tiffany, almost 10 years ago next March. Trayvon Martin was killed the same way by a self-appointed uh, a person that wanted to take the law in his own hand and kill Trayvon, saying he was doing something wrong. We've got to stop this, and we have to make sure these courts do not tell who can stand with people when they have had a loved one killed. We're not going to stand for it. Thursday, the 18th, we'll be back, and we'll be back strong.
1: And interesting thoughts considering the role that white conservative evangelicals play uh, in promoting some of the domestic terrorism um, that we've seen. The data bears it out. Look it up. Thank you so much, Reverend Al Sharpton. And please be safe when you travel back down there uh, to Georgia on November 18th. And we'll be in touch. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. I just want to make a very quick uh, correction. Last block, uh, we incorrectly said that Jacob Blake was murdered. However, he is, of course, alive. Um, He was paralyzed after being shot seven times in the back by a police officer. So our apologies for that. Uh, Moving on, if you're tired of the echo chambers of cable news, do please tune into the Cross Connection tomorrow at 10 a.m. We disrupt the monotony and it is unapologetically for the culture. Tomorrow is no different. You know how you've heard people say that our country is so divided and they come up with all types of political euphemisms as to why? Well, we are keeping it 100 and calling a thing a thing. Race is the dividing issue, people. And we'll get into a new report from Pew uh, that dives deep. Also, I know you've heard a lot about that supply chain demand and the waning amount of truck drivers that contribute to the bottleneck. Well, the industry that's mostly white men over the age of 55 is in desperate need for newer, younger, more diverse candidates, much like, well, everywhere. But that's another story. And Puff Puff passed the pardon because Senator Elizabeth Warren is pressing President Biden to issue blanket pardons to non-violent cannabis convictions. So let's be blunt. The chronic problem of over-incarcerating people needs to be weeded out of the criminal justice system. So you don't want to miss the cross-connection tomorrow. It's sure to be a smoker. And on Sunday night, MSNBC Films presents The Dark of the Valley. This is a new feature documentary, and it explores the decades-long cover-up of a nuclear accident in the Los Angeles area, the families that suffered in one mother's journey to activism after watching her own daughter fight cancer twice. In the Dark of the Valley air Sunday at 10 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. All right, and that's tonight's readout. Joy is back here on Monday.
0: When news breaks, go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app.
2: New developments in the legal drama surrounding former President Donald Trump. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays. Video highlights from your favorite shows and hosts.
9: Lots of news of all kinds going on right now.
0: And the latest updates on the 2024 election. The rematch is on. It's Trump-Biden Part 2. Go beyond the what to understand the why. Download the app now at msnbc.com
2: slash app.